Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to PGM, Prophetic Grace Network. This is the live Internet broadcast of Secrets Revealed. Understand the book of Revelation from start to finish. Today we're talking about numbers in the book of Revelation and the 1,260 days prophecy. Let's begin with talking a little bit about the 12 statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation and important numbers in the statements of prophecy. By the way, as we talk about these numbers, please feel free to text or to otherwise share the numbers that are most interesting to you. So you can call one three one nine five two seven six zero two seven during the live internet broadcast. You can also text during the live internet broadcast. Our PGN text number is one two one four five zero five eight seven one nine. Numbers are important to God. There's one book in the Bible, as you may know. Uh, the name of that book is Numbers. So let's get into the 12 statements of prophecy, beginning with the first statement of prophecy, the seven seals prophecy in Revelation chapter 5, 6, 7, and verse 1 of chapter 8. One of the key numbers in the seven seals prophecy is seven. So there are seven seals described in the book of Revelation and it begins with uh, telling us about a scroll in chapter 5. And it says, I want to go to the verse. Verse 1, then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. When we go to the second statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation, it begins with verse 2 of chapter 8, and it says, Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So from the beginning, talking about the beginning of the 12 statements of prophecy, in the first statement of prophecy, we have seven seals. And in the second statement of prophecy, we have seven trumpets. And in the third statement of prophecy, we have 1,260 days. Interestingly, 1,260 days is 42 months, which is three and a half years. And so 1,260 days is half of one seven-year period. Stay with me. 
stay with me. So we're talking about numbers in the book of Revelation. And in Daniel chapter 9, it talks about uh, a 70-week prophecy. And the reason that that matters to us today in 2023 is we are awaiting the beginning of the 70th week. So in this prophecy discussed in Daniel chapter 9, each week is a seven-year period. And the beginning of the 70th week happens with the signing of the confirmation of the covenant. What covenant? The covenant described in Genesis where God promises and makes plain the boundaries of Jerusalem. And he says that this land is for the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, for all time, for the present and into eternity future. So now we're in the third statement of prophecy. And it says that there are 1,260 days, let's hear that, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 6. In the 1,260 days prophecy, it says, And the woman herself fled into the desert wilderness, where she has a retreat prepared for her by God, in which she is to be fed and kept safe for 1,260 days. And then in parentheses, it says 42 months, three and one half years. I'm reading from the Amplified Classic Translation. So this 1,260 days is half of a seven-year period. Now let's continue. Numbers in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13, that is the 666 Antichrist prophecy. And in verse 18, the last verse of the chapter and prophecy, it says, Here is room for discernment, a call for the wisdom of interpretation. Let anyone who has intelligence, penetration, and insight enough calculate the number of the beasts. For it is a human number, the number of a certain man. His number is 666. So obviously a very important number in the book of Revelation 666, that's the number of the beast. The mark of the beast is associated with that number 666. Indeed, it will be that number 666. Now, what's another number in the 666 Antichrist prophecy? Let's hear it in verse 5. And the beast, talking about the Antichrist, was given the power of speech, uttering boastful and blasphemous words, and he was given freedom to exert his authority and to exercise his will during 42 months. Then it has in parentheses three and a half years. Three and a half years. So three and a half years, again, half of a seven-year period. Let's go to the fifth statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation, the earth prophecy, the first five verses of Revelation 14. 
It says, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name inscribed on their foreheads. So now we have another number, 144,000. This number is also mentioned in the seven seals prophecy. It's the singular number in this 144,000 first fruits prophecy. Now, what is it? We're going to be talking in the month of May exclusively focusing on the 144,000 first fruits prophecy. We talked about it on this program before. We're coming back to it in May. It's the fifth statement of prophecy, so we'll be talking about it in May, the fifth month of the year uh, in the calendar that we use. So it's the third part of the harvest. There are three parts of the harvest. First, those whose bodies are in the grave, those who are disembodied, they are residing in the storage tank known as heaven. First, they will rise up. Now you say, how will they rise up? Well, they're in, they're, they're in one location, but their bodies, Version one of the body, their corruptible bodies are in the grave. Now, some of them have a corruptible body that's in a, in, the grave is in the sea. So some have a grave that's uh, in the earth. Some have a grave that's in the sea. But wherever it is, in his omnipotence, all being all-powerful, and in his omniscience, being all-knowing, God will take those molecules, bring them back together supernaturally and form a beautiful and immortal and incorruptible, a glorified, a perfected version of their body for the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. And that same body will clothe the soul, will clothe the spirit of the individual for the eternities of eternities. Now, that's the first part of the harvest. Those who are already in heaven in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're told that first they rise up. Second, those of us who are here on the earth at the time of the second coming, second, we rise up very shortly thereafter. We rise up, our bodies changing with the blink of an eye, your body and my body will change from corruptible to incorruptible. Mortality must put on immortality. The corruptible must put on incorruptible. We must transition from a body that's full of DNA errors to a peak performance body that has no DNA errors. No longer will the sins of the father be visited upon the child up to the fourth generation because we're going to have perfect DNA. Hallelujah. Now, what is this 144,000? That's the third part of the harvest. In Romans, it says, after the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, all Israel shall be saved. Now, what does that mean? In 
uh, Zechariah in the last three chapters, we have a description of what happens during the Battle of Armageddon, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And just due to time constraints, I want to fast forward to the end. After the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, 100% of those who have found and followed God's plan for salvation, those who are in heaven, those who are on the earth, there's a remnant described in the Holy Bible. And that remnant is a remnant from Israel. The number of individuals in that remnant and 100% of them are going to be saved when they see their Messiah and they see the holes in his hands and they're going to weep and mourn as if mourning for the death of a firstborn child. It's all there in Zechariah in those last three chapters and it's here in the book of Revelation, 144,000. That's the number. That's the third part of the harvest. That's a very important number, 144. 44,000 comprise the remnant that shall be saved. All Israel, that's exactly, precisely the number that will remain at the point where many have been taken into captivity. Uh, There's been an earthquake where 7,000 passed away. Uh, The forces have already walked through the dried up uh, path of the river Euphrates. They are there. They are there to take Israel, but they won't. The Antichrist will never possess Israel. And in fact, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, will descend from the clouds with the armies of heaven. And those of us who have already gone up, we we have already uh, risen up to meet him in the clouds in our glorified bodies as described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But there's a remnant. There's a remnant. That will be saved, and that remnant is comprised of 144,000. We're going to get into that 144,000 in May, but for now, let's keep going with these numbers. Now, that's the fifth statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation. The sixth statement of prophecy is the earth-reaped prophecy. Now, in verse 20 of chapter 14, it says, And the grapes in the winepress were trodden outside the city, and the blood poured from the winepress, reaching as high as horses' bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia, about 200 miles. Now, what is this number, the 1,600 stadia? By the way, let me look that up uh, in other translations. Uh, This is Revelation 14, verse 20. The most important thing is to know what is this number talking about. I think that when we look at different translations, the number sometimes changes. So I just want to make sure that we know uh, what those different versions say. So I'm going to Bible Hub so I can see different translations. So NIV has 1600 stadia. Uh, The New Living Translation says about 180 miles. So, again, we're in Revelation chapter 14, verse 20. Uh, The King James Translation says the space of 1,600 furlongs. So they have the number 1,600. The New King James 
The New King James Version has that same number, 1,600 furlongs. Uh, I read out uh, from the Amplified Classic Translation, and you heard that number. Let's see, what other versions do people tend to uh, use? The Good News Translation says 200 miles long, about 5 feet deep. Okay, so some versions say 1,600 stadia, most. Many versions say about 200 miles. One I see says about eight, uh, about 180 miles. The contemporary English version says 300 kilometers and almost deep enough to cover a horse. Okay, so we have a couple of numbers uh, for the Earth Reap prophecy, the last verse. What's the key point? We're talking about distance. So this is not talking about the number of people, which uh, we see with the 144,000 and the seven seals uh, prophecy, the first statement of prophecy and the fifth statement of prophecy. But here in the sixth statement of prophecy, we're talking about distance. Now, what distance? When the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won, There will be carnage. Now, what is the span, the length, the distance of the carnage that will exist post-completion of the Battle of Armageddon? That's what this number is telling us. So uh, the Battle of Armageddon is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is the war to end all wars. There will never, ever be another war on this present earth or the earth to come, the new earth, after this battle. But we aren't there yet. When we get there, and it is coming. So this number seven, the end of the seven-year period, the culmination of Daniel's 70th week is the Battle of Armageddon. It is the second coming, which includes many things, but the two key aspects of the seven coming, the second coming, the two key aspects are the resurrection and bringing in the harvest and the battle of Armageddon, which is fought in one to establish the kingdom of God on this present earth. Let your will be done on earth earth as it is in heaven today well when is the will of god going to be done on earth as it is in heaven today upon the completion of the battle of armageddon the will of god will be done on earth hallelujah now when the battle of armageddon happens there will be 1600 stadia that's approximately 200 miles or 180 miles, depending on what translation you look at, of carnage. So what does that mean? It says, the grapes in the wine press were trodden outside the city. The blood poured from the wine press. What's the wine press? The wine press is what happens when God, Jesus Christ, God manifests in the flesh. What happens when Jesus uses his weapons to fight and win the battle of Armageddon. So that's described in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21. But for right now, 
take-home point, we're looking at these key numbers in each statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation. Let's go to the seventh statement of prophecy. The seven plagues prophecy, I think you already know what the key number is. It is seven. In verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, Then I saw another wonder, sign, token, symbol in heaven, great and marvelous, warning of events of ominous significance. Let me read that again. Then I saw another wonder, sign, token, symbol in heaven, great and marvelous warning of events of ominous significance. There were seven angels bringing seven plagues, afflictions, calamities, which are the last. For with them God's wrath, indignation is completely expressed, reaches its climax, and is ended. Now, what do you think the climax of God's wrath is? I'm going to guess that you are already there. The climax of God's wrath is the Battle of Armageddon. The seven final plagues include, but are not limited to the Battle of Armageddon, but the climax of it, the seventh and final plague includes the Battle of Armageddon. That's a key number, seven plagues. At number seven again. Let's go to the next statement of prophecy. There are 12 in the book of Revelation. The eighth statement of prophecy is the purple and scarlet prophecy, chapters 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation. And let's go to verse three. And the angel bore me away, wrapped in the spirit into a desert wilderness, and I saw a woman seated on a scarlet beast, all covered with blasphemous titles, names. And he had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was robed in purple and scarlet and bedecked with gold, precious stones, and pearls. And she was holding in her hand a golden cup full of the accursed offenses and the filth of her lewdness and vice. So this is talking about the harlot church. This is the eighth statement of prophecy in August, the eighth month of the year. We are going to be talking exclusively about the purple and scarlet prophecy right now. What about numbers? Seven heads and ten horns. In the 666 Antichrist prophecy, Revelation chapter 13, and in Daniel chapter 7, we have reference to these same ten horns. So these ten horns represent ten kings. During three and a half years, the 1,260 days, that we will be talking about today. During this period, there will be ten horns. So what are the ten horns? They are the ten kings when the abomination of desolation happens. When the Antichrist stands in the rebuilt third temple, it will be rebuilt on the temple mount after the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. So there's a seven-year period. It begins with the signing of the confirmation of the covenant. This is the document, the peace agreement that will give 
the nation of Israel that supernaturally came back together in 1948. Israel did not exist as a nation from the period of 70 AD to 1948. That's in uh, modern times, so that's more than a thousand years. That's almost 2,000 years. It came together supernaturally, and in the book of Revelation, we have prophecies about this three-and-a-half-year period, 1,260 days. We're going to be talking about it today, where the temple will be rebuilt. Now, during this period, at the beginning, there will be ten horns as described in the purple and scarlet prophecy. There will be ten kings. These ten kings are ten leaders of the ten-nation alliance that represent the beast. The Antichrist is the leader. Ultimately, the leader rises up. The mouthpiece for the ten-nation alliance, the Antichrist takes charge of it now in daniel we're told that initially there are 10 kings the antichrist he gets into it apparently with three of them and he puts them down and he takes their place so there will no longer be uh all 10 so we have uh 10 uh, and he puts down three okay but let's stay with the key point here in the purple and scarlet prophecy Initially, there will be 10 kings in the 10-nation alliance. These are 10 nations in Europe. We don't have the, we don't, God does not reveal the emblem, the animal associated with each of the nations, but he gives us three of the 10-nation alliance. They are the leopards the bear, and the lion. So the leopard is Germany. So Germany will be a member nation of the Ten Nation Alliance that dominates economic and political affairs during the 1,260 days. Second, the lion is Great Britain. If you look in the dictionary and you look up lion, it will tell you the nation of Great Britain. That is one of the Ten Nations in the Ten Nation Alliance. Russia is the bear that will be another of the 10 nations in the 10 nation alliance they will dominate economic and political affairs in the world but they will not be as strong as babylon so recall that this will be the fifth of uh, 10 governments and economic powerhouses that dominate world affairs, but we know from the book of Daniel that each of these uh, governments become less powerful. So Babylon was the most powerful. In the dream given to Nebuchadnezzar, it had the head of gold. And then after that, we had the Media Persia Empire. And then after that, we had Greece. Then we had uh the nation after that, and then finally we're going to have the fifth nation, which is the nation during our time, the Holy Roman Empire, the merging of the ten-nation alliance that will work in tandem with the harlot church. 
we're going to get into this. Today we're focusing on numbers, but we're going to get into the harlot church and how will it work in tandem with the Antichrist. That's described in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, which we'll be talking about in April, and also in the Purple and Scarlet prophecy. Okay, take home point. Ten kings, there will be ten nations, and initially they will have ten kings. Uh, Each will have its own president. So nations use different titles. Some might, here in the United States of America, our highest leader is called a president. In some nations, it's prime minister. In other nations, it might be uh, excellency or some other title. So kings doesn't necessarily mean someone who literally has the title of king, but it's the person who uh, has the highest level of authority with respect to government for a particular nation. Uh, Let's go to verse 10. In verse 10 of the Purple and Scarlet Prophecy, and it says, And they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One still exists and is reigning. The other, the seventh, has not yet appeared. And when he does arrive, he must stay but a brief time. So it tells us all about this. And then in verse 12, also the ten horns, here's our key point, also the ten horns that you observed are ten rulers, kings who have as yet no royal dominion, but together they are to receive power and authority as rulers for a single hour along with the beast. Now, who is the beast? The Ten Nation Alliance is a beast, but the beast is the Antichrist who will emerge as its mouthpiece and leader. So we see that it tells us Uh, in verse 12, that the ten horns are the ten kings, the ten rulers, who will be ruling during the 1,260 days where the Antichrist has dominion. Let's go to the ninth statement of prophecy. One of my favorite statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation, the Battle of Armageddon. So if you want to know about the end of Daniel's 70th week, So 70 times 7 is 490. So Daniel talks about a prophecy that spans 490 years. And each seven-year period is referred to as a week in the prophecy. So it talks about the 70th week. Uh, That's in Daniel chapter 9. What's the take-home point for us? Here, we're in the book of Revelation. We're talking about numbers. The culmination of the seven-year period in the prophecy, in the 70 weeks prophecy, the culmination is a seven-week period. Only half of it, that's 1,260 days, is a period in which the Antichrist will have dominion. So the Great Tribulation is not seven years, it's 1,260 days, which is three and a half years, which is 42 months. Now, here we are in the ninth statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation, the marriage supper prophecy. So the marriage of the Lamb has happened, and now we're talking about in chapter 19, verses 6 to 21, the marriage supper And we get a description of uh, Jesus Christ 
descending from the clouds with an iron rod in his hand, and he's wearing a uh, robe with the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's go to verse 20. And the beast was seized and overpowered. Now, where are we? Who is the beast? The beast is the Antichrist. So at the Battle of Armageddon, the end of the seven-year period, what happens to the Antichrist? We're told right here in verse 20 of chapter 19. And the beast was seized and overpowered, and with him the false prophet. So the head of the harlot church, the head of the harlot church is the false prophet. So we have two. So our key number for the marriage supper prophecy is two. And the beast was seized and overpowered, and with him the false prophet. And then we go to the end of verse 20. It says both of them, what's both? Two. Two individuals. Who are these individuals? The Antichrist and the false prophet, the beast and the false prophet, the beast and the pope, the individual who will be the head of the harlot church during this three and a half year period, the individual that is the leader of the harlot church where purple and scarlet are the key colors worn by the two branches of power in that harlot church. Now, don't be mad at me when I'm saying words that are from the Bible. And we're going to be talking about the purple and scarlet prophecy in August, but let's continue right here. Both of them were hurled alive into the fiery lake that burns and blazes with brimstone. Both of them, two. Key number four, the marriage supper prophecy, the ninth statement of prophecy is the number two. The first two of God's enemies to be destroyed are the Antichrist and the false prophet. There are five enemies of God. After the fifth and final enemy is destroyed, we transition from this present earth, which we're told uh, God's going to fold it up like an old cloak. It's going to go through the holy fire, and we will transition to a new earth and new heavens. But before we get there, all five enemies of God must be destroyed. God's strategy for destroying his enemies is the same. So whether the enemy is the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, all who uh, take the mark of Satan, all who have uh, failed to get their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life and death itself, all enemies of God suffer the same fate. What is that fate? They experience the second death. What's the second death? It's being put in the lake of fire that burns with fiery brimstone forever and ever. So all of God's enemies have the same fate. Two is the key number for the Battle of Armageddon prophecy. That's the marriage supper prophecy. The first two of God's enemies, the Antichrist and false prophet, are destroyed. Now, let's go to the 10th statement of prophecy. That is the millennial reign prophecy. So what happens after Jesus Christ establishes his government? And again, when does it happen? After the end of the seven-year period. 
The seven-year period begins with the confirmation of the covenant. It ends with the Battle of Armageddon. When Jesus Christ fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon, the first two enemies of God are destroyed. Jesus Christ establishes his government on this present earth. Climate change is not going to destroy this earth. Let me tell you, climate change is not going to destroy this earth. Now, is the earth suffering? Absolutely. But we're suffering. You, you know that you're suffering because you have errors in your DNA. The Bible says all of creation is groaning. We're all experiencing uh the results of sin no tree would ever die except that the world is fallen an animal would not kill another animal except that the world is fallen so we are all awaiting our transition from mortality to immortality and the earth awaits its transition from being corruptible to being incorruptible so in the same way that you and i as individuals whose names are written in the lamb's book of life if your name's not written in the lamb's book of life that's the number one thing you ought to think about there's nothing more important no bank account no job no man or woman uh no child no spouse there's nothing more important. That's your number one assignment in life. Find and follow God's plan for salvation. Why? Because it's God's will for you to have eternal life. There's only one way to have eternal life, and that's for you to transition from mortality to immortality. You and I don't get to decide how that happens. That has been decided. You and I didn't get to decide the shape of the earth. It is round. God decided that. You might say, well, I think it should be a star shape. I'm personally impartial uh, to the oval shape. Another might say, I think the hexagon is exciting. None of us, neither yourself nor nor me, we don't decide any of that. You do not get to decide how you may transition from mortality to immortality. However, you do get to decide whether you will transition to immortality. You do get to decide, am I going to find and follow the will of God? Am I a truth seeker? Do I want to know the truth about who created me and why I was created? You do get to decide that. You are free to accept or reject God's free offer. Now, what's his offer? He's offering to mediate your case. He's offering a path from mortality to immortality. He's offering eternal life. Now, let's continue with these numbers. Verse 20. The millennial reign prophecy. So every person, every person who has ever died is in a storage tank. So either you're in the storage tank known as heaven or a human being is in the storage tank known as Hades. There are only two storage tanks. You don't have to wonder, uh, where is my grandmother, grandfather? Where am I going after it all ends? Either the individual is in the temporary location known as 
uh, heaven, the present heaven, not the heaven to come, or Hades. That is a reality, a reality reported over and over and over again in the Bible. Now, every person who transitions from mortality to immortality in a beautiful peak performance body is going to be here on this present earth again. Jesus Christ brings them all back. We're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and here in Revelation chapter 20. Now, what's the key number? In Revelation chapter 20, it's 1,000. Let's hear it. It says in verse 5, The remainder of the dead were not restored to life again until the thousand years were completed. Let me read that again. The remainder of the dead were not restored to life again until the thousand years were completed. So what's this prophecy talking about? This is the millennial reign prophecy, the thousand years prophecy. So why why are these a thousand years so important, right? Like why not 1923 to 2022 or 1800 to 1900 or pick any point in chronological time? This thousand years includes day one of the establishment of the government of Jesus Christ through day 1000 it is a transition period so when jesus christ returns everything is not perfect instantly now don't be mad at me when i'm preaching good (laughs) don't be mad at me when jesus christ returns we aren't going instantly to perfection it's not going to be uh heaven on earth instantly You say, well, research scientists, what do you mean? Jesus is here. Well, Jesus was here before, and it wasn't heaven on earth, right? It's going to be heaven on earth when the new city generated in heaven merges onto the new earth. Now, when does it happen? Let me answer that question first. When is it going to be heaven on earth? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It begins with the beginning, day one of the first thousand years, but we don't get to the fullness of God's uh, perfection, his plan for perfection. We don't get to the fullness of it until we get to the new earth. God the Father doesn't relocate from heaven until all five of his enemies are destroyed. Now, you already know that at the Battle of Armageddon, two enemies are destroyed, the first two. So there's no way that we're going to get to perfection until all five enemies are destroyed. As long as there's anything inspired by Satan, as long as there's death, as long as there's grief, there's mourning, there's evil, there's people who have sins in their soul, in their hearts, minds, their mind, will, and emotions, we are not at perfection. We are not at perfection when there's death. When death is a possibility for your beloved dog or cat, we are not at perfection. When your wonderful sister can die of leukemia at the age of four years old, we are not at perfection. When Satan can roam on this present earth and persuade people to go with him to Jerusalem, 
to again attempt to take over the world, you know, it's a pinky in the brain situation. What are we going to do today? We're going to take over the world. That's Satan's plan over and over again, but he's defeated. So the beginning of the thousand years is day one of the millennial reign. It happens after Jesus Christ fights and wins the battle of Armageddon along with the armies of heaven. And here in Revelation 20, we're told the remainder of the dead were not restored to life again. Let me explain that. The marriage supper described in Revelation chapter 19 is the battle of Armageddon. Before the marriage supper, there was the marriage. What's that? That's when Jesus Christ gets his bride, his forever family. We transition from mortality to immortality. All three parts of the harvest come in. All three parts of the harvest come in, and we are forever with Jesus Christ. We will never, ever again be separated from God in his human form, his royal race, perfected, glorified body. We will never, ever be separated from Jesus Christ again. So that's the marriage. It's followed by the marriage supper, the battle of Armageddon. And for a thousand years, Satan will be in the bottomless pit, but at the end of the thousand years, he's released for a short time. He's released for a short time. Let's hear this. Uh, Wait, let me go back for a second. Now, during the thousand years, There will be mortals on the earth, people who were permitted to uh, continue living on this present earth, but they had failed to get their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So it's a transition period. There won't be any more war. There will never be another war, but there will be those individuals. I don't know exactly who they are, right? So if you say, well, can you tell me precisely Uh, Will this be, for example, some have asked this question, what if someone died at age six, so never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, never followed the plan for salvation, is that person going to automatically be granted participation in uh, the first resurrection? Or will that person be permitted to live again? during the thousand years until he or she reaches the age of accountability and then the person can decide, right? So if you're six years old or four years old or 12 or 11, you aren't at the age of accountability according to the Old Testament. 20 was the age of accountability in the Old Testament. So if you haven't reached age 20, but you experienced the first death, so your body is in the grave, Well, how does that work? So some have asked that question. I do not have a good answer. I do not see where that specifically is answered in the Bible, but we have an omniscient God. He has a plan, and he knows the answer to it. We do know that during this thousand years, there will be people on the earth, as described in Zechariah, the end of Zechariah and here in Revelation 20, um, there are those described here in Revelation 20 who will be mortals. So at the – let me go back for just a second. I keep meaning to say this, and then I skip. 
It says in verse 5, the remainder of the dead were not restored to life again until the thousand years were completed. At the end of the thousand years, we go to the great white throne judgment. That's where everybody in the temporary storage, uh, in the temporary storage tank known as Hades, that place of darkness, it's like they're in jail, but they haven't been sentenced yet. So if you are in Hades, uh, it's a place of darkness, and you haven't been sentenced yet. In a just God requires that your case be heard before you're sentenced to the second death. So Hades is a temporary location. At the end of the thousand years, two key things happen, uh, really three. Verse 7 says, and when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his place of confinement. So here's the thing. If Satan's coming Satan's going to be released on this earth again after Jesus comes back. You already know we're not at perfection, okay? If Satan can be on the earth at the same time that Jesus is here, we're not at perfection yet. So this thousand years is a transition period. Now, what happens? It says he will go forth to deceive and seduce and lead astray the nations. Take home point, at the end of the prophecy, it says, then the devil who had led them astray was hurled into the fiery lake of burning brimstone, where the beast and false prophet were. Now, how, what does it mean, were? Remember, at the end of the Battle of Armageddon, key numbers two for the marriage supper prophecy, at the end of the Battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist and false prophet are destroyed. What does that mean? They go into the lake of fire. Now, a thousand years later, Satan is destroyed at the end of the millennial reign. Okay, so a thousand, that's the key number for the millennial reign prophecy. Let's go to statement of prophecy number 11, the dead judged prophecy. So the dead judged prophecy in verse 14 says, This is the second death, the lake of fire. Two is the key number for the dead judged prophecy. Let's go back. I saw the dead great and small. They stood before the throne. We're in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, verses 11 to 15. I saw the dead great and small. They stood before the throne and books were open. So what's happening here? After the millennial reign, after the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ, now three of God's five enemies have been destroyed. Now, remember, we have to get to all five of God's enemies being destroyed before we can get to perfection. What's perfection? When God transitions us to a new earth and new heavens where the earth is so perfect that God relocates his abode from heaven to earth where there will be no more death, no more grief, no more mourning, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. Hallelujah. That day is coming. Now, what is the timeline? Let's get to it. The 11th statement of prophecy here in Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, we're at the great white throne judgment. Two of God's enemies have, have still not been destroyed. Well, what are the last two? What are the last two? If the Antichrist, 
false prophet and Satan have all been destroyed, and they have at this point. So at the end of the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ, all three of those individuals have been destroyed, the Antichrist and the false prophet, and now Satan. But still, still we're, we're, we're not where we need to be. You say, well, why not? Because death still exists. In 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 says, And the last enemy he destroys will be death. So you say, research scientists, what are you talking about? Death is a thing. Death is a thing. It's coming for you and it's coming for me. And we can't escape it. No scientist, Einstein, uh, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Barack Obama, just think of whoever in your mind is the most powerful or smartest or richest person. None of those individuals can defeat this enemy. There's only one person, one God, Jesus Christ, manifest in the flesh, the Son of God and the Son of Man in one who has the ability, the power to destroy your mortal enemy. You have an enemy. I have an enemy, and that enemy's name is death. And the reason, the reason to get excited about Jesus is that we're promised in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, and the last enemy he destroys will be death. He, he doesn't. Uh, He doesn't make friends with it. He doesn't uh, uh, try to uh, bargain with it. He doesn't cry about it. No, he destroys it. He annihilates it for all time. That means that once he destroys death, once he destroys death, all living things will never, ever die again. Now, you've got to make it to that point where you're a living thing before he does this. And the only way to do that is to make sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, let's hear about the most important number in this prophecy where his two, the last two enemies are going to be destroyed. What's one of the last two enemies? Death itself. That's described. And when it happens, reported here. In the 11th statement of prophecy, the dead judged prophecy in Revelation chapter 20. Now, you say, well, death is going to be destroyed. And 1 Corinthians said that's the last enemy, correct? So what's enemy number four? Friend, this, this is maybe the most important thing I'm saying today. Enemy number four, it, it might be you. It might be you. I need you to make sure that you are not one of God's enemies. Now, who are God's enemies? The Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, death, and there's one more. There's one more. The tares are God's enemy. The goats are God's enemy. The bad fish are God's enemy. All whose names are not recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life are God's enemies. What am I saying? Every person whose account has sin in it, every person whose case has not been to mediation, Every person who has a debt, if you have a debt that hasn't been paid, you say, well, wait a minute. How can you 
How can you have a debt to God? If you have sinned, if you have sinned, that is a debt. God considers every sin, no matter how small or large, a debt. Now, in our human minds, we say, well, if you murdered someone, that is huge. You got to pay for that. On the other hand, if you stole a five-cent piece of candy, well, it's no big deal, whatever. But not in God's system. In God's system, every sin is a debt that must be paid. And in the Bible, it says the wages of sin is death. Now, how can you escape it? How can you escape it? Because surely you have sinned. I sinned. Why? We inherited a sin nature. Does that mean you are a bad person? No. But it does mean that you inherited the ability and the propensity to behave badly. And I have done it, and you have done it. And for that reason, for that reason, we've got to get to mediation. We've got to get our sin debt paid for. We have to get our case settled. God has a case. He has a case in heaven, we're told. In Revelation chapter 20, there is a book. There are books in heaven. One book is the Lamb's Book of Life. Other books include a singular book with the sin debt recorded, as well as the aims and purposes of every person's life there's an accounting of your life recorded in a book in heaven and you say well research scientists have never heard this i understand i understand let me read it to you in verse 12 it says i also saw the dead great and small they stood before the throne and books were opened then another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged, sentenced by what they had done, their whole way of feeling and acting, their aims and endeavors in accordance with what was recorded in the books. So you heard right there, the books were opened. What books? Each book for every individual who is participating in the great white throne judgment. So every person who failed to get his or her name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, every person who was not a participant in the first resurrection will participate in the second resurrection. You say, well, when does that happen? It happens after the millennial reign, and it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Now, let's talk about your book. Now, all of us have a book in heaven. All of us have sin debt. You might say, well, it's not fair. Listen. God is a God of justice, so he has a way for your sin debt to be paid. You say, well, if God made me this way, how can he fault me for it? You inherited the propensity to sin because of the sins of our foremother and forefather, Adam and Eve, in his justice. In his compassion, he made a way for us to regain our sonship and daughtership. You were born in the image of Adam instead of the image of God. And that's why I can die and you can die because we're in the image of Adam. So he transitioned from immortality to mortality. So we're in Adam's image. What does that mean? That means we have mortality, the ability to die. That's inferior. That is inferior. We want to be in God's image. How do we do it? We've got to get our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
Now, what is the key number here? The key number is the second death. That's what you want to avoid. You want to avoid participating in the second resurrection because every person who is resurrected for the purpose of participating in the great white throne judgment is going to the second death. You say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that? It says here in verse 15 at the end of the prophecy, if anyone's name was not found recorded in the book of life, he was hurled into the lake of fire. What does it all mean, friend? We're going to a new earth. We are going to a new earth, and I want to make sure that you know how to get your passport, that you know what you need to do to make sure that you're permitted, that you're permitted to live on the new earth. Only those whose names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life will participate in eternal life and where is that going to happen on a beautiful earth you think that niagara falls is beautiful you think hawaii is beautiful you think new zealand is beautiful you think uh, south africa is beautiful so i'm just saying different places where people tend to want to vacation or live friend we don't know the true beauty that will exist on the new earth. We are so far from God's vision of perfection. We can't even comprehend how magnificent the new earth is going to be. But I tell you what we can comprehend. We can comprehend how to get our case mediated, how to make sure that you're here to witness it, to experience it. If you participate in the second resurrection, that means that you're going to experience the second death. Now let's hear all of verse 14. Then death and Hades, the state of death or disembodied existence, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Uh, you don't want to participate in the second death. That's permanent. So if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you die in an hour, you're going to heaven. You're going to rest from your labors while you're in heaven. And then at the time of the second coming, you're going to descend from heaven, your same soul, mind, will, and emotions, uh, your same spirit, and it's going to put on your new incorruptible body. It's going to put, in, put on the best version of your body that has, has ever existed and will ever exist. You've never seen your hair looking as excellent as it's going to look on day one of you living, inhabiting your glorified body. You don't know what it's going to feel like when you can run like the wind, when you can rise up and ascend in the heaven, uh, ascend into the air at will. You're going to be more fit than you've ever been. And here's the thing. You've never reached your peak. I hear people say all the time, well, in my day, this, or in my day, that. Friend, your day is still to come. Your day is the day when you participate in the first resurrection. Your day is the day when you put on your peak performance, incorruptible, glorified, perfected body. When you are ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ on this present earth. And you're going to be here when we transition from this corruptible present earth to the 
incorruptible new earth. And on this new earth, there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more mourning, no more death. Let me read that scripture. Verse 21 says, uh, let me go to verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new sky, heaven, and a new earth, for the former sky and the former earth had passed away vanished and there no longer existed any sea. Now we're moving from the 11th statement of prophecy. Number two was that key number, the second death. Number two, you do not want to participate in the great white throne judgment. So make sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now we're going to the final statement of prophecy, the new earth prophecy, Revelations, uh, Revelation chapters 21 and the first five verses of 22. It says, then I saw a new sky, heaven, and a new earth. For the former sky and the former earth had passed away, vanished, and there no longer existed any sea. And then it says in verse 3, the abode of God is with men, and he will live in camp, tent among them. And they shall be his people, and God shall personally be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Well, how can death be no more? Remember... At the great white throne judgment, the final two enemies of God are destroyed. Death has been uh, tossed into the lake of fire. Death has experienced the second death, which is permanent. So that's why there's no more death uh, after the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is the end of the age. When we go to the new earth and the new heavens, we are beyond time. We are in eternity future. doesn't matter if you're 50 years old, 700 years old, 823 years old, 1,508 years old. doesn't matter. You're going to be in your peak performance body for eternity. Chronological time uh, will be irrelevant at that point. We're in what the Bible refers to as the eternities of the eternities in verse 5 of chapter 22. It says, and they shall reign as kings forever and ever through the eternities of the eternities. Time is coming to an end. The end of this world is upon us. Now, that's nothing to fear. That's something to get excited about. What's the end of this world? It's the end of Satan. It's the end of the Antichrist. It's the end of the false prophet. It's the end of all who allow Satan to inspire and dominate their souls. And it's the end to death itself. The end time is coming. And after the end of the first thousand years of Jesus Christ, we have the great white throne judgment, and that is the end of time. After that, we are off into eternity future. So the end of time is shortly to be upon us. Now, what are the key numbers? in the 12th statement of prophecy. Let's take a look. If we go to Revelation 21, verse 16, it says, The city lies in a square, its length being the same as its width, and he measured the city with his reed, 12,000 stadia, about 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are the same. Okay, I'm going to pause there. So what is this saying? There's a city. What city is this? This is the city that God the Father is going to live in. So God is going to relocate his 
his house, his abode, the Bible uses that language. Right now, God the Father is in heaven, and Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, waiting for the green light for him to come on back to this present earth to fight and win the battle of Armageddon. But right now, Jesus is in the physical location known as heaven. It's a temporary location. God the Father is in heaven. Now, Jesus comes back at the end of the seven-year period that begins with the confirmation of the covenant. After a thousand years of Jesus being in here, here meaning uh, in or on the present earth, we have the great white throne judgment. Then God the Father comes. God the Father comes. Now, what is he coming to? What is he coming to? He's coming to a new earth where there's no evil, there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more grief, there's no more death, there's only perfection. Uh, if you have a cat or a dog, it's going to live with you forever. If you have a horse, it's going to be with you forever. Your family, all those that you have known and those that you haven't known will be with you forever. It's going to be an awesome time. You don't want to miss it. Now, what about this 1,500 miles described in Revelation 21? God has created, we're told, a city, Jerusalem. So there's a city today on the earth called Jerusalem, but God has created a new and improved version. And appropriately, it's called in the book of Revelation, the new Jerusalem. He has created it in the present heaven. And he's going to send that city that he has created, the holy city. Now, why is it holy? Because that's where God the Father and Jesus Christ are going to live. They're not going to live in New York City. They're not going to live in Washington, D.C. They're not going to live in Geneva. They're not going to live in Addis Ababa. You know, we can list all kinds of places that we think are fantastic and that are fantastic. But God has decided that where he is going to live, for the eternity of eternities is in Israel, in a specific location in Israel called Jerusalem. Why do you think there have been more wars fought over Jerusalem than any other city in the world? Because God has declared that's where he's going to live. So, of course, his arch enemy Satan says, well, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to destroy it. That's where you want to live. I'm going to destroy it. That's why Satan has... Uh, inspired uh, men and women who allow him to dominate their lives to uh, wage war against Jerusalem. Now, let's continue. 1,500 miles. So there will be a new Jerusalem. It's going to descend from the present heaven and merge onto the new earth, the exact dimensions of the city. So God is saying, not only have I created this city, I'm so excited about it that I want to tell you about it. And in this new earth prophecy, which we'll be talking about in December, he describes in great detail this city that he's going to live in. Imagine. So let me tell you a quick story. Um, some years ago, I was uh, had a work trip, and work trip was taking me to Chicago. I had never been to Chicago, and there's a thing there called the Magnificent Mile. It is magnificent. I love the Magnificent Mile. Every day after work, I would go out and walk that Magnificent Mile with my friend. Uh, she came to meet me there, and we just love the Magnificent Mile. And so whenever I hear about Chicago, whenever it comes up, I'm, I'm talking about the Magnificent Mile and how they had uh, – 
they had the popcorn place there, which was amazing, and they had water, and they had all these shops and beautiful hotels, and just it's just a beautiful thing. Now, I'm talking about Chicago, which is fantastic, but imagine a city created by God, the Father himself. Can you imagine how beautiful it's going to be? Well, he tells us some about it. So in the New Earth Prophecy, he begins with telling us, uh, in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Let me say that again. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, what is this? After all five of God's enemies have been destroyed, this present earth is going to be folded up like an old cloak. It's going through holy fire. What will emerge is a new earth, kind of like this earth, but the best version of it that has ever existed and that will ever exist. So I imagine bluer skies, clearer waters, fish that will never die, uh, Soil that's rich with nutrients, flowers that smell amazing. It's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be amazing. Um, now, about where specifically on the new earth God is going to live, it's in Israel. And he has created a city. And that city, he's so excited about it. He has already created it in heaven. And we're told in verse 16, the city lies in a square, its length being the same as its width, and he measured the city with his reed, 12,000 stadia, about 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are the same. Now, we already think about cities as having a, le a length and width, right? I remember in ninth grade, we were, I was studying Latin, and they said Rome was eight square miles or something like that. And I was like, that's really tiny. I grew up in Washington, D.C., which is kind of a small city, um, not too big. But the New Jerusalem is going to be a very large city, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. Now, why are we told how high it is? Remember, when we get into our glorified bodies, we're going to be able to fly. We say, well, how do you know that? The first thing that happens is that we start flying. We're going to rise up in our glorified bodies to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds. We're told over and over again, we're going to have a body just like the one that he occupied when he rose from the dead, the same body that he is in right now as he sits in heaven. So it makes sense that we're told that this city is going to be 1,500 miles high because we don't need an airplane or a helicopter or some kind of other device. We don't need wings to fly. We're just going to rise up when, if and when we want to. Yes, friend, not science fiction, science fact. So what have we done today? We've been talking about key numbers uh, in the Bible. I want to take us to focusing on Daniel's 70th week. So, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's uh, 70th week prophecy, 70 week prophecy, that's 490 years are discussed. One week is seven years. I am looking forward to more than anything. 
I'm looking forward to more than anything, even more than the emergence of the red heifer, which is really significant and, and important, the signing of the confirmation of the covenant, because that's the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, the last seven years of a 400 90 uh, year prophecy prophesied more than 2000 more than 2500 years ago because the culmination of that is the battle of Armageddon the culmination of the seven final plagues is the battle of Armageddon the culmination of the seven seals prophecy is the battle of Armageddon the culmination of the seven trumpets uh seven trumpets prophecy is the battle of Armageddon So let's talk about let's talk about what happens prior to the Battle of Armageddon. So in that seven year period there are some significant events. The most significant event uh coming up urgently is the signing of the confirmation of the covenant. That's the beginning of the seven year period. That will be followed by once the temple has been uh, rebuilt, that'll be the third temple. The first temple was built, and then it was destroyed. Then the second temple temple was built, and it was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. And now very shortly, the third temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount in Israel. And after the temple is rebuilt, according to uh, the book of Daniel, we know that the lawless one, the Antichrist, will stand in the rebuilt temple and declare that he is God. That will be the beginning of the 1,260 days. The 1,260 days is the wrath of Satan. It is the great tribulation. The Great Tribulation is not seven years. It's precisely 1,260 days. It's 42 months. It's three and a half years. We say, well, this is the first time I'm hearing that. Let's go to, to Scripture to confirm that. In the Seven Trumpets prophecy in Revelation chapter 11, there's reference to 42 months. What's that? Three and a half years. That's the 42 months where the two witnesses will prophesy. So they're going to prophesy during the Great Tribulation. We're about to hear about the 1,260 days uh, shortly in Chapter 12, but also in Revelation 13, in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, it says that the beast was given dominion for three and a half years. That's 42 months. Why? He's given dominion during the Great Tribulation. So it's not seven years. It's 42 months Let's look at the 1,260 days prophecy. Here is the key question that will be answered. What specifically will happen to the nation of Israel during the Great Tribulation? Now, you might say, well, I don't live in Israel. I want to know what's going to happen to the church. I want to know that, too. In April, we're going to be focusing on uh, the 666 Antichrist prophecy, which does a number of things. One of the key things that it does is it gives an instruction for the church, for the saints, God's holy people, for what we are to do during the Great Tribulation. And it describes what happens to 
the church during the Great Tribulation. But first, God tells us what happens to specifically the location and the people, the Jewish people in that location known as Israel during the 1,260 days. So this three-and-a-half-year period is within the seven-year period, which is the final seven years leading up to the Battle of Armageddon and including the Battle of Armageddon. So here it is, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 12. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And a woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers... For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times and half a time then the dragon tried to drown the woman with the flood of water that flowed from his mouth but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon and the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus now who is the rest of her children, that is believers. Those who have found and followed God's plan for salvation. What are we hearing in this prophecy? During the Great Tribulation, Satan will begin with waging a war against the nation of Israel. The United States of America will be great 
Will we be as great as the Ten Nation Alliance that includes Germany, Great Britain, and Russia? No. Our economy will not be as strong as that economy. However, we will be a great nation. We are the two wings that are like those of a great eagle. The United States of America is in the Bible. Germany is in the Bible. Ethiopia is in the Bible. Russia is in the Bible. Iraq is in the Bible. Iran is in the Bible. Many nations that will exist at the time of the Great Tribulation are specifically listed in the Bible. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 4, we're told about Great Britain and America and how America separated from Great Britain. And here, in the book of Revelation, the only place, the only place where we're given a picture of the relationship between the United States of America and Israel during the Great Tribulation, it's, it's provided here. We are one of five nations, the United States of America, that has veto power in the United Nations. America and France and China and two other nations have veto power. So that means the UN wants to pass a resolution, but if we don't agree to it, we can veto it. And we've done that to protect the nation of Israel over and over and over again. That has made us, to some extent, a pariah nation. Now, presidents come and go. We have uh, term limits. No president in America at this time can serve for more than eight years. Now, I don't know who's coming in 2024, but we know this. During the period of the Great Tribulation, America will ally with the nation of Israel, and we will help Israel so that Israel will survive for a time, times and half a time. What's that? That's three and a half years. That's 1,260 days. We know that Israel will be attacked. There will be a war waged against Israel. And when the great flood comes, the flood that we're probably going to see it on CNN, MSNBC, it's going to be all over the news. Israel's going to be destroyed. A great flood is coming. It's, it's no way that it can make it. And the earth is going to open up. And Israel is going to make it. It is going to survive. And that is day one of the war waged against Christians all over the earth. That is the timing. That is the timing of the war waged against Christians during the Great Tribulation. Friend, I hope that this has been an interesting talk and discussion for you. I want to thank you for being with me and with us. I want to invite you to continue with us on Thursday at 9 a.m. Texas time, 10 a.m. Eastern. 10 a.m. Eastern and next Sunday we'll be back. Continuing our talk on Secrets Revealed focusing on the 1,260 days prophecy. If you haven't done so already, according to Jeremiah 33, 3, today, call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know.